Welcome to Tax Bites for Expats, the top tax tips you want to know as an expat. The podcast is here to help answer the common queries and concerns expats have when moving to or from Ireland. Complex taxes explained simply. We'll focus on the Irish and international tax issues to be aware of to ensure you save time, money and stress. Hi, my name is Stephanie Wickham from expattaxes.ie. You're listening to the Tax Bites for Expats podcast, the show that explains the do's and don'ts of income taxes for people who are moving to or from Ireland. So today we are talking to Jessica Beale of Beale Tax Consulting um, about the US tax issues we, we think about when we are looking at somebody who has stock options or restricted stock units. And we're hoping to touch on some of the common pension issues that arise as well. But before we kind of kick off with that, maybe by way of background, um, I'd like to introduce Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us. Jessica, it's lovely to have you on. Thank you so much. And um, we're very lucky to have you because you have some amazing experience, Jessica. You, you trained with PwC in the US and then you transferred across to PwC London before you made the move to Ireland where you joined EY. And simply because having a tax qualification in one country wasn't enough, you went on and did your Irish tax exams. I'm very impressed. And now you are the founder director of Beale Tax Consulting. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, we'd love to hear a little bit more about how you came to work in Ireland and, and, and how you're finding living and working here, given you've lived in many places. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like you said, I started in America. I am an American citizen myself. Um, however, it's more of a, a personal story because my husband is Irish. Um, and so even when we decided to move to England, again, it was just we both wanted an adventure. Um, and luckily, I worked with a firm I could transfer internationally and it was an English speaking country. So it made it easier. Um, But my husband being from Ireland, um, again, it was a personal choice. We were here one Christmas and with our two boys and realized, what are we doing in England without any family around? So I was the one that actually stuck my hand up and said, why don't we move to to Ireland? So in a period of about four months, we sold a house, changed jobs, moved kids in schools and came over here. And that's, that's when I joined EY. Um, and you, you mentioned my Irish tax credential. It wasn't ever in the cards, you know, at that stage in my career, I didn't expect to go back studying full-time while having a full-time job and, and a family to raise. Um, but I did it and I did it over the course of three years. And it was sort of just a backup plan. If, if the US tax didn't work here in Ireland, if there wasn't a demand for it, I'd have that to fall back on. Um, but luckily with Beale Tax Consulting, um, there's, there is a big demand for, for U.S. tax here in Ireland. Oh, definitely. So many U.S. individuals living and working in Ireland. And um, yeah, just massively impressive that you you, you did that. I mean, um, well done. It's The Irish tax exams are very challenging. I'm sure any U.S. ones were too. And yeah, we're very lucky to have you in Ireland offering fantastic service to all the people who, who need it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I suppose there's so much we could talk about, but the... One of the things that I think our listeners will get a lot of value from kind of hearing about is the intricacies of how restricted stock units and stock options, you know, that maybe have been granted while they've been living and working in the US are going to be taxed when they make a move across to Ireland. So tell us, what are the the issues that you see, 
in your day-to-day work when you deal with a client who maybe has moved from the US to Ireland and has kind of come with some of these um, investments in their portfolio? Yeah, so so I, I usually call this sort of outbound planning, whereas I know from Ireland, you'd be calling it inbound planning, um, where you kind of look at global assets and investments and, and advise on how they'll be treated once they leave the US versus once they come into Ireland and what the Irish rules are. Um, so the starting point for me, I usually try and find out that the tax profile of the client Um Starting with, are they a U.S. citizen moving abroad? And and what's the length of time they think they're going to be abroad? Is it more of a permanent move? Otherwise, are they a green card holder, and which makes things a little bit more complex? Or are they just returning home? Maybe they were only in the U.S. with a visa, a temporary work visa, and now they're coming back home to Ireland. But while they're in the U.S., they may have pensions, they may have investments, and, and what does that mean when they, they move abroad? Um so as you mentioned, when you, the case of stock options and RSUs, that might be something that's more relevant for somebody who's coming to Ireland on an assignment, or maybe um, they they just have a few options or RSUs that are still vesting after they leave and, and move abroad. Uh, and so it's looking at how the, the taxing point for that is in the US versus Ireland, because we don't ever want a situation where they're going to end up paying double tax. So in the case of a US citizen, say they do have stock options or RSUs, under domestic law in the U.S., you usually start, the starting point is to look at where the services are performed. So if the stock or RSUs were granted while they were working in the U.S., and say they had two years of vesting while they were in the U.S., um, and then they move abroad and they have another two years working abroad, you're sourcing that based on where the workdays are. So if if it is split 50-50, 50% of it would be sourced Irish, and 50% would be sourced US. That's the starting point. But then you have to look at what are the rules in Ireland um, and how, how are they going to be taxed there in order to work out the foreign tax credit situation. So Stephanie, I don't know on, on your side, what RS, I know RSUs are, are a little bit different than stock options. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and I think, yeah, you're, you're, you're so right. It's, there's a treatment in the US and then there's a treatment in Ireland. And I think then there seems to be a midway point where what actually happens in practice can sometimes vary dramatically. I mean, I had in a situation the other day where, you know, payroll in the US had done something, payroll in Ireland had done something, but unfortunately, for some reason, neither of the payroll had done what they were meant to do (laughs) exactly. And the taxpayer is left with, you know, a little bit of a mess at the end of the year to kind of sort out. You know, if you are advising somebody who is gathering their documents, I suppose, to kind of prepare their US return, what are the things that they should make sure they have to hand or, you know, that they kind of download from their their brokerage account when they're kind of giving you what you need to do the analysis. Yeah, well, so it's no, it's normally the standard bank statements or brokerage statements that show, and even the the history on the granting of the options or the RSUs to show when they vest and how frequently they vest, as well mm-hmm. as a travel calendar. I always say, even whether it's relevant or not, it, you, you need to know where you're working, um, and and always keep a travel calendar for these purposes because it it can come up and be relevant um, down to even the level um, what state, if you're in the U.S., what state you are working in during the grant to vest period. Um, But then once that, that's sort of the easy part on the U.S. side, the more complex part is then, well, now you need to go talk to your Irish advisor and figure out how are these RSUs going to be taxed 
when they vest or when the options are exercised in Ireland. And I, I, I always reference RSUs because I know in Ireland, the, uh, generally, when the RSUs vest, they're fully taxable, aren't they, Stephanie? In Ireland, it doesn't disregard. That's exactly, yeah. Yeah, Once so that kind of, tax residency is tr- triggered, it's fully taxable. Yeah, so and that's something that I think sometimes comes as a surprise um, that they're fully taxable regardless of, say, 50% of the time they spent their time working in the US. So when you have a US citizen, you, you, in that scenario, you it, the starting point, you have double tax because everything's fully taxable in Ireland. Maybe half of it's sourced US, so half of it's taxed in the US. So we refer to the income tax treaty. And as many people may may or may not be familiar, all US income tax treaties have the savings clause, um, which is relevant for US citizens. And the savings clause basically says you ignore the entire treaty with the exception of a few articles that are actually listed um, and that are accepted from ignoring the whole treaty. So it includes the double tax article as well as the social security under the the pensions article um i think I, there's a few others and those those are the two main ones that i always refer back to but under the double tax article essentially what happens it allows you to resource the income foreign so if you your starting point is you have us sourced income it's taxable in the individual's home country being ireland because of their residency um you're allowed to resource the, the income that was originally sourced U.S., foreign, on the U.S. income tax return in order to take a foreign tax credit for all the taxes paid here in Ireland. And so that's the way around getting double tax. And a lot of times that comes as a surprise to people. I actually was on a call yesterday where it had been done incorrectly for a number of years, um, and we can go and amend a number of returns in order to get a refund for the withholding that had been taken on the U.S. side. And, you know, Jessica, you, a couple of points there that I think you make that are interesting. I suppose my first question would be, is there ever a time limit on how far you can go back if you're entitled to a, a refund as a double tax credit? I know in Ireland, it, we, you know, revenue are very strict about that. How does it work from the IRS's perspective? Yeah, it's a very good question. And I actually do get it a lot. But the statute of limitations is what we call it. Um, it's limited to three years if you're claiming a refund. Uh, and your, your statute starts in the, the, sorry, it's from the earlier of the date the tax is paid or the date the tax uh, return was filed. So say okay. you have a, a 2018 tax return that was filed in 2019, you have three years from 2019 to claim a refund. And I know we see this a lot and I'm sure you come across it. So, um, you know, particularly in the tech sector, restricted stock units have become a very common component of how people are kind of paid and are like rewarded for their contribution to the company. I mean, perhaps right now, you know, the value of these restricted stock units is, is not necessarily as high as it was. But irrespective of that, what we see happens, particularly when somebody relocates from the US to Ireland, is they have had tax withheld in the US. And obviously, it usually, from what I can see, is, is withheld on the full amount in most instances. And then they come to Ireland. And if there's a withholding here too, it's also on the full amount. 
So yeah. what that actually means is they in real time pay tax in two countries. And we get a lot of calls from people saying, okay, well, I've ended up with nothing because I've just paid tax to the US and I've also paid tax to Ireland. And now I'm left with, you know, basically 20% of the value of what I was actually given. Um, and I'm, sh- I'm sure you, you see this. It, it's in these situations that it becomes so important then to be aware of the fact that, you know, your ability to go back and claim credit in the US is actually limited to a specific time. So if you've had these, you know, over the last few years and you, you, something's happened and it just didn't seem right or rational, you should really look at it before too much time passes because at some point, you know, the IRS or revenue are going to say you're not entitled to the refund anymore because, you know, you're, you're out of time. <laughs> and the other thing to consider, and this is probably something to go back to the payroll departments, but whether or not there's an exemption form that can be filed to prevent the withholding, say, on the U.S. side um, for more of a real-time true-up of of the, the, the cash flow, I suppose, um, that can be done in certain situations. So something to look into rather than having to wait. Because when you when you consider the timing of by the time you actually get the refund, you don't file your tax return until the earliest, April or June, the year following um, the tax year that we're looking at. And then it could take six, eight, 12 weeks before the refund is actually issued by the IRS. Yeah, exactly. A lot of money, isn't it, really, when people have anticipated it, you know, that it's going to hit their pocket. And then the reality is it can, it can be a little bit painful to actually get it there. But um, with the right support, I suppose it doesn't need to be that way. And then in terms of, you know, um, stock options and things like that, is, is a similar treatment from a US perspective? I mean, we've spoken a little bit there about restricted stock units. I mean, I know from an Irish perspective, stock options are taxed slightly differently. Um, so in Ireland, you know, restricted stock unit is, is, is taxed through payroll if it vests when the individual is here uh, working in Ireland. Um, but a stock option isn't report, isn't the tax isn't captured through the payroll process and the individual needs to proactively settle the tax within 30 days of exercising an option. Um, I mean, from your perspective, how does it work in the US? Someone exercises an option, they've moved to Ireland from the US. What, what should they do or is there anything to do at that point? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's kind of the same, it, you know, when it when it vests and they exercise it, it's sourced in the same way based on where the workdays are performed. So we always look to then decide or determine whether or not it's also taxable in Ireland. In any element of the U.S. sourced income that is taxed in Ireland, we end up resourcing on the U.S. tax return to take a credit. And again, that's how we eliminate the double tax scenario. But normally it is done through payroll. So it it would um, you'd need to work closely with the payroll departments to see is there a way to minimize the amount of withholding for anything that you do know is going to end up being taxable in Ireland, or otherwise you might end up still in that same scenario where you're paying both jurisdictions, especially if you have to file within 30 days of the date of exercise in Ireland. So that's actually quite interesting. So I think what you're saying there is if you are exercising an option that has some US source period to it, in other words, it vested over a period of time when you were working in the US, mm-hmm. then you are going to have tax or should have tax withheld via payroll. Um, but essentially that withholding in the US may take into account the tax that's going to be due in Ireland, which interestingly is not going to be captured through payroll <laughs> and needs to be settled um you yourself need to settle it. Is that is that a fair way to summarise it? Like people need to be that across it if they want to kind of essentially end up with the best outcome in real time. 
Yes, and it's usually it would be working as closely as you can with payroll to see what can be done. Uh, payroll in the US, I suppose, whereas in Ireland, you settle it yourself. Mm. Um, you have more control over that. Yeah. Um, but de- yeah, definitely. Certainly if you need to have it. From an Irish perspective, one thing what we see people very commonly get wrong is when they're converting the USD amount to euro, they, they, you know, they Google the rate and they use whatever rate comes up at a specific point in time and um, when the reality is revenue actually want you to use the published rates from their website which essentially come from the central bank um, and, and it, it often may not be a massive difference but it essentially means that when people are doing the reporting themselves that they're, they're getting it wrong and then we have to correct it at the end of the year so it's just a small point and I think it kind of it kind of feeds into the the conversation generally which is you know if if you're in this situation you know approach it yourself clear that it's a bit complicated or potentially have a conversation with somebody who is experienced with it to make sure that you kind of front load it and get it right as much as possible at the start Um, and if you haven't done that not to worry take action within a certain amount of time after you know kind of within three years for example um, and just be aware that it may take time for you to get the actual cash that you're entitled to to your bank account when all these kind of credits have been flushed through. And, and, you know, one of the other key points I, I'd say there is if you do have an Irish tax advisor helping with your Irish returns and you have another one helping with your U.S. tax returns, they need to talk so that everything is consistent. And, and the experience I've had, even with some new clients coming on, is the previous Irish and U.S. advisors never spoke and everything is different. Um, and a lot of opportunities were missed in saving um, or, or where double tax may have happened because they're not talking or they don't understand both sides. Um, and hopefully that's where my, even though I don't provide Irish advice with my Irish credential, it does help me to understand and be familiar on both sides to know where the key risk areas are or where you can kind of get into these double tax scenarios and how best to get out of it. So that the, the point there being your Irish and US tax advisors need to talk when they're doing your tax returns in these cases. And Jessica, I would say there are a very limited number of people in Ireland who are qualified in both US and Irish taxes. So you're in a really strong position because the systems are different. I mean, broadly, the US system is different to, you know, it's it's, it's unique. You know, there's very few in the world that are similar to the US system. And, and funnily enough, <laughs> what I actually think is interesting, too, is you know, whenever I speak to US clients, they're under no shadow, they're under no doubt as to the fact that, you know, Uncle Sam is going to follow them wherever they go. <laughs> um, but I suppose it, you know, they're, they're just keen to kind of te- speak with somebody in Ireland who has an understanding of the cross-border issues because it can be a bit messy. And, you know, the reality is nobody's moved to Ireland from the US so that they can deal with the revenue commissioners and the IRS. They just want to get on with their life and <laughs> save in the knowledge that they've paid the right amount of tax and no more or to the correct jurisdiction um so yeah we're very happy to have people with your experience in ireland to call on <laughs> thank you it's a learning process for me but um i do always i do always make sure you know any of my u.s clients who do have irish issues i do always make sure to refer them to another irish advisor and in a lot of them like yourself stephanie that i, I work with quite closely on a number of clients um, I do think that's helpful because there's that established relationship, do you know, where, where you know you work well with them. And so I can always refer them on 
to make sure that there is an Irish advisor involved. Yeah. I, I mean, this is a very small thing, but I, I mean, I see kind of looking at the US returns that kind of come across our desk when we're working on them. You know, they're, they're large. They're so long. It's such a long document. There's so many. By the time you've got all your brokerage statements and, you know, you've got all your documents together, it's I often think of our poor clients who have to sit down on a Saturday evening and sit there and go, I've got to do my taxes and, you know, upload all these things to whoever, you know, is helping them with the return. And one thing that I think can make a small difference is if you're working with an advisor who partners or works closely with the the, the, the advisor on the other side is that you give them permission to maybe share the documents so you don't have to do it twice. <laughs> Something very simple like that. I use OneDrive and you can give access once the you know, once the taxpayer agrees um, that that information is shareable. Um, yeah, it makes it a lot simpler. Half half the workload, essentially, um, in terms of having to kind of, you know, do duplicate effort. So it's a little things that make a difference. Um, yeah. OK, Jessica, so, I mean, that was brilliant. I mean, it just gives an idea of kind of the complexity and the issues to be aware of. One of the other things that we said we'd touch on, and perhaps at a high level, because I'm conscious it is a very complicated topic, is pensions. You know, what are the issues that you discuss on a routine basis with clients who, you know, meets the criteria that we kind of alluded to at the start, which is they're moving from the US to Ireland, they're they're likely a US citizen, and they're coming to work in Ireland. What's the first thing you kind of say to them, or what do you want to know about their situation? So normally the question would be, how long do you plan? Is it a permanent move? Is it a short-term move? Are you moving on assignment with your company? Um, Do you have expectations to continue to contribute to the U.S. pension, occupational pension arrangements you have in place? Or would you consider participating in a local Irish pension plan? And that usually then kind of dictates how the conversation goes. Do you know if they stay on home country... Um, and on a home country arrangement, meaning the U.S., it's probably a bit simpler. So it's probably somebody that's more going on assignment here to Ireland for a few years. And um, again, that is a bit simpler. And it is actually one of the few areas in the treaty where there can be some relief um, on where you can get the same tax deferral, both in Ireland as well as in the U.S., at least for the first five years um, that they're on assignment. However, if they do consider going into an Irish occupational pension plan, there's also an, another uh, a whole slew of other types of pension arrangements available here in Ireland that will have different treatment in the U.S. There's PRSAs. There's also, you know, the AVCs if they're contributing more to an occupational pension that the employer is not also contributing to, um, as well as. This is probably down the line, but there's the ARFs and and, um, and buyout bonds and all that that have different tax consequences on the U.S. side. But when we're looking at sort of the contribution growth phase while somebody is we're in during their working life, if they do participate in an occupational pension plan here in Ireland, there is no relief under the income tax treaty that provides for tax deferral in the U.S. So as normally happens in any kind of retirement arrangement, the expectation is I put money into it. It's a tax savings plan. It goes in pre-tax, it grows tax deferred, and then I'm only taxed in retirement. However, when when you have a non-U.S. plan, it is generally treated as non-qualified under U.S. domestic law. And that essentially means the normal deferral that we just kind of touched on there doesn't happen. Um, And what you have to look at, it depends on 
um, how whether the, the taxpayer is considered highly compensated. And these are all defined terms in the US. Um, if, if they're considered highly compensated, essentially every year it, they call it the vested accrued benefit in the pension. And it's like a mark to market tax. You have to take your beginning starting point, say is nil, and you've contributed 10,000 in the year, employer and employee contributions, and it's grown another five, say. So by the end of the year, you have 15,000 of growth in a pension plan. That 15,000 is actually still fully taxable on the U.S. side. You're not able to take the deferred contribution or growth in the plan. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's such a, you know, such a shock for people to hear that. I can only imagine that, you know, I'm going overseas I've got this overseas pension product and I'm going to pay tax on it in the US. Wow. Okay. I can just imagine the complexity and the issues that that raises, you know, particularly in terms of how it's taxed later (laughs) when they do subsequently access it. Um, But okay. I mean, so much to navigate there. And the question I always get, well, how do I plan for retirement? Um, And the only thing on this piece, and I always add it, is you're, you're living in Ireland, it's a very high tax jurisdiction. And so normally you're accumulating foreign tax credits. In the US, you can accumulate credits and carry them over under current law anyway. You can carry them over for a period of 10 years. So if you are accumulating these excess credits, it's often a case where we use those credits against this 15,000 of income I mentioned that you have to add back into your compensation. You use your credits to offset any US liability on it. So you can get to a point where you're getting an uplift in your what we call your basis in the pension that won't be taxed again in retirement under U.S. law. And you're doing that tax-free because you're, as well, on the U.S. side because you're taking a credit. So there's no extra cost. Um, so it usually ends up being okay as long as it's done correctly. A lot of um, other U.S. advisors or even taxpayers normally are familiar with what's called the foreign earned income exclusion. And it sounds great because you can exclude currently up to $112,000 of income from tax in the U.S. every year. So most taxpayers I take on, they've been claiming this exclusion for a number of years. But the downside is you don't get to exclude all of this pension um, add back under the exclusion rules. So if it's done correctly, you may not be getting, you may still end up with a U.S. tax liability. So often when a taxpayer lives in a high tax jurisdiction, such as Ireland, my first piece of advice is usually revoke the exclusion and start reporting all your foreign tax credits um, for for this reason. This is one of the the reasons that's usually more advantageous. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's it's just, it just, to me, really (laughs) highlights the need to kind of you know, you live in a, to get the advice that you, you you need specific to your circumstances. And, you know, I have a lot of kind of clients who kind of come and they've, they've maybe used something like a vanilla kind of, you know, online tool to do their taxes when they've lived and worked in the US. And, you know, they come to Ireland and of course people want to kind of, you know, just kind of deal with it as simply and efficiently as possible. But it just highlights the need to get good advice so that there isn't any unnecessary surprises because I think whether you're in the US or you're in Ireland 
the, the message is as an expat, particularly in, you know, when you're moving with products that you've contributed to in the other location is you're, you really need to be aware that you're in this kind of limbo situation where you need to be across taxes in both location to make sure that there's no unnecessary shocks, which really translates to having to pay money you didn't anticipate you were going to have to pay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Breaking it down into simple speak. But there's so much to take away there, Jessica. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Stephanie. It's usually a lot of times taxpayers come to me. There seems to be a lot of U.S. citizens here in Ireland nearing retirement age. And a lot of the advice I'm giving lately is on retirement. And they hadn't taken advice up until now. And so you're obviously looking at the pension arrangements. And they may have had their entire working life here in Ireland as a U.S. citizen. And oftentimes when people move from employer to employer, there's a requ- some employers require you to get out of their pension arrangement and the, and you enter into a buyout bond. Or um, if you decide to do that on your own, you go into a buyout bond and you have to look at, well, what does it go into? On the U.S. side, again, because the treaty doesn't provide relief for this, uh, normally, I'll use the, the U.K. as an example, the U.K.-U.S. treaty has a provision that says the taxing point doesn't occur until you actually retire. That same relief isn't in the Irish U.S. income tax treaty. So when you enter into these buyout bonds or you do a type of rollover that's tax-free in Ireland, it's actually a taxing event in the U.S. And if you've been reporting it correctly the whole time, like I mentioned, doing looking at the vested accrued benefit and picking that income, picking that income up into your tax return each year, you have basis. So it's not an issue because most of it won't be taxable. But if you've never done that, the full value of the pension that is then being rolled over into a buyout bond can be taxable for U.S. purposes. And I have had a number of clients who have done that unknowing, uh, not being aware and fully advised of the rules. And that obviously has a huge cash flow issue and a huge tax cost issue because you don't have the cash in your hands to pay the tax and it's stuck still in, you know, in the pension arrangement here in Ireland. But the tax is due on the U.S. side. So... Um, just highlighting the importance of getting advice throughout the years rather than just by the time you reach retirement. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's things happening along the way that feel tax neutral, but may not be from a technical perspective. Okay. Wow. So much to digest from that. And so useful. I mean, look, my comments here, I think we need to talk to you again <laughs> because there's obviously so many issues that are common to kind of the people that we work with and you know you've got such a, a wealth of knowledge on the specifics for US citizens and obviously green card holders and other you know kind of visa holders who are living and working outside of the US so we'll have to catch up again but thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your your, your knowledge with us we really appreciate it well, thank you Stephanie it was a pleasure Thanks for listening to Tax Bites for Expats. Please do leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, remember to take professional tax advice specific to your personal circumstances before acting or refraining from action in connection with the matters dealt with in this series. The material in this podcast is intended to give general guidance only.